it is our responsibility um, to keep the fire of the Lord burning. And there are so many different avenues that we could touch. We're not even getting into intercession. We're not getting into devotion. I mean, all of that stuff is so applicable. What I've been trying to do to some degree is to cherry pick things that have not been as much of a focus, um, not because they're more important than the things we already know, but it very clearly says when, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, but then I went on to other things. The point of which is we have to continue to build upon and stretch ourselves. And if I were to tell you the thing that kept revival coming is that all of us would come and pray, everybody would go, yep. We know that. We've been doing that, right? That's what we do. It's who we are. Is in, in the automotive industry, we call it standard equipment. Standard equipment means good. go buy a car right now um, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't have a radio. You won't find one on a lot, right? I mean, uh, you, it's, it's hard enough just to find a car that ha- doesn't, uh, doesn't have automatic windows anymore. I mean, you can't find them on a lot. Why? Because it's become standard equipment. For us, being a house of intercession, being a house of worship, all of that stuff is standard equipment. Some of these things that we've been trying to look at are maybe more things that deal with our own personal life that should be a, um, a reflection of our devotion time. Okay? So I'm going to read with you quickly because um, we've got several... Jeremy, um, do you not read these too? Um, we've, we've got several scriptures, but we're not going to go through them. Thank you so much. We're not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to hit the high points. But I wanted you to have them for context because I would encourage you to take some time with these passages. Um, and um, the idea tonight is going to really center around this thought. The thought is that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. So the thought is really going to revolve, thank you so much, around the fact that God in many ways causes us to first have responsibility or gain a measure of authority, if I can use that word, over the earth before he ever starts dealing with the people. Okay? And so, oftentimes, what you see, in fact, even you think about Jesus, when um, we talk, we recognize that Jesus died on the cross for the redemption of mankind. And that his blood is what cleanses us. But technically speaking, the earth is the first thing that his blood ever touched. You know, you, you think about throughout time, there's always been a very strong connection. We're going to, I think, um, uh, I think next week at some point, um, we're going to look at, I've never studied uh, a term I've never studied called the kinsman redeemer. Some of you are familiar with that phrase. Um, from the story of Ruth and Boaz. We're going to look at that but um, and, and really identify what are the five principles of the kinsman redeemer, the five qualifications or responsibilities. But the first one is to redeem the land. There is a responsibility that, that where we say, this is who we are and this is where we stand, and where we begin to actually be people that are, are watchmen over a territory. I mentioned to you on Sunday morning, that um, there's a uh, Newark, New Jersey. There's a church there that has decided to. They the Lord has given them a burden for their city, and so each person in the church has become responsible to pray for one street in that city. They have now adopted, if I can use that term, 
33% of the city and they've seen a 35% reduction in crime. You know, that kind of thing to where, um, do you realize that in the last five years in Greencastle, Putnam County at large, if you can say that if you'd like, we have seen a 3% drop in unemployment. We have seen a 15% drop in crime. Putnam County has a less than 4% unemployment rate. Indiana at large is nine. So, I, I, now, am, am I saying all of that is because of us? No. But do I think that we have a role and responsibility over welcoming the presence of the Lord? Over welcoming. I'm sorry, but if you think there's going to, if you think revival in here doesn't affect the crime rate out there, we're missing the point here, folks. Now, it doesn't stop at the crime rate. But I'm believing that there's going to be no homeless. I'm believing that there's going to be no PTSD rate. I'm believing that there's we're going to be able to close um, some of the mental health facilities because people are being healed and restored to such a degree we're not going to need these places anymore. I'm just being honest. And these things are, are measurable. These things are realistic, and they've happened. I mean, there were, there were um, cities, uh, actually out in California, when Azusa Street happened, there were doctor's offices and hospitals that went out of business. Why? Because there weren't any sick people. I mean, there was there was actually a report in Argentina where there was uh, such a drop in crime because the revival that's been going on there for almost 30 years that they have closed in, in several counties. The judges, the, excuse me, courthouses and jails have closed because they don't need them anymore. That's a realistic possibility. And I know it's way out there, but the reality of it is that's, what he's going to do. Now, he's not, he may not do it tomorrow, but I'm believing that our, our young ones are going to see that. Because the reality of it is, we may not have a great kids program, but if I'm sick, I want to bring out the three-year-old to pray for me. We may not have, like, the best, the best kids program ever, but I can tell you this, those kids are seeing angels, they're prophesying over people, they have more faith than probably most of us in the room put together to be able to pray for somebody when they're sick. That kind of thing is going to start to impact generations, and it's going to change the culture. So, when we talk about this fullness, it is the idea that the earth is the Lord and the fullness of So, fullness, when it comes to us, then also being full, and I could have pulled a whole bunch of passages together that talk about what the fullness for us, the fullness of God passages, Paul references that frequently, that he would want us to walk in the fullness of who God is. Fullness is an interesting thing because fullness in the spirit is never measured by what we contain, only by what overflows. Fullness in the spirit is never measured by being the container being full. Fullness is only measured by what overflows. It's actually illustrated by what you release. So the amount of fullness that we walk in is actually demonstrated by what overflows and we release out of us. The reality is God, all of God that's in you, there's going to be a leak. That's just the way it's supposed to work. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work. Um, it's demonstrated by what comes to life as a result of our overflow or fullness. To understand the concept of fullness, we have to begin with the meaning of the word in the Old Testament. This word is male in nature. Now, I want to get into a little bit of a masculine in nature. 
Hebrew language, you find this a lot with European languages, but Hebrew language, there's masculine and feminine tenses specifically with the verb language, the verb tenses. So what you'll find is that masculine tense tends to be a reference um, to the idea of something that creates or grows, where feminine tense tends to be something that is the reception of something or the burden point of something. So specifically, when you talk about fullness, it's not necessarily in, in the Scripture when it talks about the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's not necessarily just talking about that it's full in the reception of something. It's actually saying its fullness is defined by its fruitfulness or its outward growth. It's a masculine word. It's productive in nature. Okay? That's the way this word works. So, as an example, fullness is a word that is also translated fruitfulness or abundance. It speaks not to a state in which no more can fit into an object, but it speaks to a point in which something overflows to the point of fruitfulness. If that's the masculine nature of the word. Now, here's a few notes I've got. As we've been discussing, the framework for revival is brokenness and sacrifice. The basis for brokenness is hunger and passion. Any, any brokenness and sacrifice that doesn't come out of a birth point of hunger and passion is discipline, and it will be short-lived at best. You can't, you are never designed to sustain relationship with him based on discipline alone. You just weren't. You were not designed for that. You were designed to actually experience fruitfulness, and that's how your joy is made full. Jesus, I think, said that. So, when you see this, we will gladly break, then, for brokenness. We will gladly break for what we are passionate for. And as we discussed on Sunday, I believe this is the impetus of the nature of God, that He has invested into us the ability to feel passion. That is the impetus of the nature of God that He's invested into us. As I mentioned Sunday, it's my opinion that the closest to the demonstration of the nature of God we can come is when we're in passion. And so within that, that passion and hunger are almost interchangeable words, okay? So, when we look at this, when we are hungry, we are displaying His nature because He is a God that hungers. And in the same way that He is a God that hungers and needs nothing, we're going to talk about that. We actually are called to be a people who eat and are full and yet hungrier than before we ever started eating. If you're taking notes, this is probably an important thing to write down. Revelation exists in the tension that exists between two seemingly contradictory ideas. Revelation is found in the tension that exists between two seemingly contradictory ideas. Oftentimes, remember what we said on Sunday morning, Oftentimes, that what we know can keep us from what we don't know if we don't remain an office. So it's that thought that as soon as we think we understand all of him in an avenue, we have chosen where it is we are going to level off or to plateau in that avenue of who he is. We think that we're capping off our knowledge of him. We're actually capping off his ability to reveal 
his, uh, uh, reveal to us who he is. So, the Bible says, here's an example of this. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. But it also says that unless you come to God as a little child, you can't inherit the kingdom. How do you get the kingdom? Being a little child or by force? Those seem to be contradictory ideas. They're not. Because scripturally speaking, when you, this is not the topic, yes, this is a rabbit trail. Know that I'm identifying it myself. Uh, when you look at Matthew 11, where he, where Jesus is speaking about John, and he says that the, and this is really cool too. So I was, I was reading this today. Do you realize I've never, in all of my life of studying that passage, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Do you realize I've never recognized that when he, Jesus says that, that he says from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. If it was, if that was the, if that was the end of the understanding, why did Jesus that def- define that was then until Jesus came, unless Jesus was coming to change something? So, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take by force. The point of that is, is number one, that when first thing, the first thing we have to understand is that word violence actually has. Zero connotation of warfare. Zero. The word violence, the original word there is life. And the, the, the actual translation of that is to pull something out or press for something. So what it actually says is the kingdom of God is so close that all you have to do is press for it because life is just on the other side. That's the better translation. Now, here, mine, here's where I'm going with this. When we look at this passage, I'm not saying at all that the idea is that we no longer fight and stand on behalf of the kingdom of God coming. But Jesus, two verses after saying the kingdom of God suffers violence and violence taken by force, two verses after that, why would he say from the time of John until now? Because two verses later, he turns and says, until you, unless you come to the Lord like a little child, you cannot inherit the kingdom. Two verses later, he's saying something that then further defines. It's my opinion that this passage is not speaking about spiritual warfare. In fact, we find that... Find me a time that Jesus does spiritual warfare like we've done spiritual warfare, and then I'll believe that that's the way we're supposed to do it. So what Jesus said is, this principle is true. You've got to be able to fight and specifically press is the point. In fact, what he's actually saying is, we've got to be a people who know how to press for the kingdom to come. 
that ex- the best example I can give of that is not warfare. The best example I can give of that is finding scenarios where the kingdom is just on the other side of a veil and it's your responsibility to pull it into now. So, what we do then is, we here's the key though, not on the notes, this is the key. That cannot be where we find our identity. Where you find your identity is unless you come to him as a little child. Childlike wonder is where you find your identity. Because as soon as you find your identity through the idea of pressing and fighting for the kingdom to come, you found your identity through pressing and fighting. And anything you attain through pressing and fighting, you're going to have to retain through pressing and fighting. So what's supposed to happen, I I heard this phrase, Randy Taylor said this years ago, it's a cool phrase. What he said is, is we, we come before him in private and then we take risks in public. That's the way it's supposed to work. And if who you are in identity ever is something that you begin to define who you are in your identity before him in the risks you take in public, You'll miss it. Why? What qualified David to destroy Goliath in front of nations was that he was willing to deal with the bear when nobody was watching. The fact that he would do what God asked him to do when nobody was watching is what qualified him to do what God wanted him to do when everybody was watching. So, when you see this, it's actually this idea that means to that in, in, in the, this is how the kingdom is brought. The way the kingdom is brought is that we come before the Lord and we actually begin to demonstrate life in situations where He asks us to take risks, where He asks us to put ourselves out there. And the reality of it is, we have, there is a, 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 a fallacy on the either side of this. I've seen people that they feel like it's their job to tackle anybody who will hold still long enough so they can pray for them or give them a word. I've also seen people who their devotional life with the Lord is outstanding, but they've never done anything in public for the Lord. They drink all the time. They've just never become a river. And so what happens, which makes perfect sense for why they look stopped up, you know? It's just the reality. They don't need a modium. They just need to prophesy to somebody. So, when you see this, the idea is that that this explanation becomes, he asks us to press into the kingdom of heaven and demonstrate life here. And this becomes an exercise in spiritual authority that we have gained or gleaned through relationship or our own devotion time whereby we come before Him in childlike wonder and allow Him to do whatever He wants to do and define our identity. In that regard, He is our Father. He postures us in that way to deal with our identity. Then He sends us out to press into what's just on the other side of that veil. That's the kingdom of God suffering violence. However, because people previous to Jesus, people were never allowed to know God as Father. They were not positioned in childlike wonder in that way that their identity was found. So the only way they had their identity by was by what they did. Right? It was by their purity. It was by their acts. It was by the law. Jesus came and said, until now, that's been the way this is defined. 
now I'm going to change it. Once again, revelation is found in the tension that exists between two things. It doesn't mean this is wrong to make this right. So within this idea, we have to understand that it's not that we are to be a people that all we care about is the earth. And, and when I say the earth, I'm saying the spirit realm. Okay? I don't mean that literally. But if you want to plant a tree, please, that's a great idea. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Please plant a tree. Plant two. But what I'm specifically speaking about is the spirit realm. You've got all kinds of people that, man, they're doing all kinds of stuff in the spirit realm, but nobody would ever know it. And, and while I'm not saying that that is, that there, there, you've got to have, everything God does begins with a voice. So we know he wants us to be people that cry out in private, but we also understand that in many cases, do you realize that the way that we do plowing and reaping in our day is totally different than how they literally did farming when Jesus was talking about plowing and reaping? Here's what I mean. So, though I didn't even wait to see if you said, no, I didn't know that, or yes, I didn't know that. I'm just going with the fact that pretending you didn't know. So, the way that we do uh, um, farming is we send a plow out. After the ground is plowed up, we take seed and we plant seed, right? That's actually not the way the Hebrew people planted. The way they planted is they threw seed on the ground and then ran the plow over it. And as the plow went over it, it transferred the seed into the ground. It planted. That was their process. Here's the point of that. There are often times where he's going to ask you to plant seed, and it's going to seem like the ground you're planting that seed on is still hard because the plow hasn't gotten there yet. And you can literally look at that person that's going, you've got three heads. And you can look at them and say, the plow's on the way. Seriously. I, I, I've literally seen this before where it's like, you pl- have you, you've had that before where you share something, you pray for somebody, and you're like, I felt nothing. Like, it was less than, whatever dead is, it was past that. Like, it, there was nothing. I don't think the person had a pulse while this was happening. You want to hold a mirror under their nose just to make sure they're still with you. And so whenever that kind of stuff happens, the, all this enemy stuff comes in and says, well, it's not working, and you're not paying attention, all this stuff's happening. But the reality is that's, and furthermore, then if you apply that principle to the, to the idea that the plowman's going to overtake the reaper, it really opens things up in the way that farming works because Jesus loves farming analogies. So what we have to understand is there are times he's going to tell you to put seed on ground that's really just not, in our opinion, ready yet. And it's because he's the one that oftentimes is going to do the plowing. And oftentimes the plow is waiting on the seed to hit the ground as a signal that it's time for the plow to show up. That's why Jesus is the light of the world. And then he says to you, you're the light of the world. People get really messed up with things in the Bible, like when Jesus says, you're to go heal the sick, and everybody says, well, God's the one that heals the sick. Well, I agree with you. That's just not what he said. Sorry. I'm just being serious. I, of course, God's the one that heals the sick, but he, there's that measure of responsibility to just do something. He's literally waiting on us to be, that's what the violent take it by force means. He's saying, reach into the heavenly realm and actually, that is, that's why Jesus kept saying, it's at hand, it's at hand, it's at hand. Why? Because it's never far away. The heavenly, the kingdom, the realm of the kingdom is literally, if you can imagine, it's around you all the time and it's only thinly veiled, separating you from it. And it's at hand because this is how.
Bible say when they can't find someone, they stick their hand in front of their face? That's at hand. It's the kingdom of God. It's that close. So Jesus um, uses this phrase several times. We're going to look at three quick Old Testament passages, but I want to focus primarily on Psalms 50. Because this is a, a um, attention-type understanding. Revelation 50.12, if I were hungry, this is God speaking, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. This is, this is really unique. Um, and I like the hard stuff. I, I just do. I, I like the hard stuff. I try to not avoid the hard stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I, now, if you've just tuned in, I'm not talking about boobs. Uh, I, I, uh, specifically in the scriptures, I like the stuff that's challenging. I like the stuff that I go, you know, when Jesus says, like, the business of turn, your, turn the other cheek, or he says, okay, I'm not just telling you to love your neighbor, I'm telling you to love your enemy. Like, the stuff that's tough, I, I like that because it needs, I need to feel it. I, I mean, really, I need, I need to look at that and go, yeah, you know, I'm not getting that right. And this is one of those passages that's challenging for us because of the tension that exists to say, how is it possible that God could be hungry? When it immediately answers, or the latter part of the verse specifically says, everything is mine in the fullness thereof. In fact, the idea here is that he's demonstrating to us that he is a God that hungers. Jesus speaks about this later, but um, the, 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 the point of it is, if I, can, uh, if I can explain this quickly, is that we have to recognize that He's literally saying that he's looking for a people that when he needs something, even though he's technically never going to need anything because he's God, he can make it happen himself. But that when he's hungry, he looks for a people who will be there to be what he needs. And so if I'm hungry, if you look at this passage, he's talking about a people who had given up their responsibility. That's the context. So he's, he's speaking to people who gave up their responsibility, and he says to them, if I was hungry, I wouldn't look to you because you've given up the responsibility that would be to feed me or give me what I need. I, I think it's an incredible thing to think that the God who has everything needs you. And, and the fact that in a moment, with a whisper, God could wind, he could tie the whole thing up in a perfect bow in an instant if he wanted. That's just not how he does things. He could in an instant, I mean, he loves to do things like that. He loves to partner. I mean, do you realize that even down to the degree that you've got Abraham, I was, I was thinking about this the other day, Abraham, you've got this guy named Abram that is of the seed of Noah. Noah's family were the only ones to make it through the flood. You've got three sons of Noah. So when God gave the inheritance to the sons of Noah, Ham, Sam, and Japheth, or, you know, Mo, Curly, and Mary, um, he, when he gives that uh, inheritance of the world to them and says, literally, I'm dividing the world into thirds, you each get a third, there's that crazy story where Ham, Noah, decides to get a little deep into the boom farm, and, uh, and Ham walks in, and that weird thing happens, and if you, I'll let you read that story, but his inheritance is lost. Do you realize how cool it is that when God then chooses somebody later to take back the inheritance that had been lost, 
he changes his name and adds Ham to it. Abraham is what he calls Abram after he embraces the idea of being what God's looking for. Why? Because the inheritance of Ham that's been lost, I'm going to restore to you the thing that you're, you're the progeny of, that this, uh, this Noah promised of having dominion over the earth. So what has been the promise of Abraham is that your inheritance or your uh, uh, your people, your children will be as the stars of the sea or uh, sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Excuse me. That idea, that's how God does things. So he says here, the, the idea, you have to look at from a proactive standpoint. So yes, if there is somebody who's not being what God has asked them to be, then he's saying, if I was hungry, I wouldn't look to you because you're not paying attention to what I need. Your, my heart is not a concern for you. What the, the idea is from a proactive sense, then, the people who will give their hearts to making sure that their number one priority is whatever's on his heart, we're actually meeting the needs of the creator of the universe. That should kind of mess us up a little bit. It, it, that it's, it's just the way it is. You know, he, the idea that God would search for those that worship, the idea that he would search for intercessors, he seeks for this. Do you know how ridiculous it is that God would, it's, can you hide from him? So isn't it crazy that he searches for it? Why? Because he's, he's romantic in nature. He loves that idea of finding people who will just carry his heart. He loves that idea of just finding people who, who have figured out that we don't have to say every day, God, I ask you, you would be with me today. He's going, I've already told you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Why do you keep asking me for things that I've already given you? Because it's just his heart to be with us and that we would know him. How do we then move into that fig leaf thing where Jesus, remember he cursed the fig tree because it didn't bear fruit out of season. Why? Because he says, I was hungry. The principle of that, keeping in mind, the fig tree always represents devotion. So what it's talking about is that the people that will be there to meet what God wants to do are the people that will stay in devotion, that will stay before his heart at all times and say, whatever you want to do, that's what I'll do. Whatever it looks like, that's what I'll take. Whatever food you put on the table, God, whatever you're serving, I'll eat of that. Even to my own pain. Even to my own death. I will take of whatever you put in front of me. So he says that the, the, the reality of this is the second part of the verse resolves the first part of the verse. Why? Because he's looking, he then defines for us what his heart is. His heart is that the whole world is mine and I want to make it fruitful. Do you realize that, that in reality, seeing his kingdom come or what he wants done, his purpose fulfilled in Greencastle or in, in Cooksville or in Putnam County or in Indiana is, is not really the end game. Even to say, to see his kingdom come or his purpose, to, to partner with him creatively, to have, you know, the, 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 a lot of these guys, there's a big term, you see Sean uh, Ford talks a lot about this, you see these guys talk about global transformation, where the globe is transformed. And you realize that that's, that's great too, but that's not even where he wants to stop. 
we get to spend all of eternity partnering and creating with Him. And we're going to run out of landscape pretty soon. We get to do that for all eternity. We're talking about galaxies. So it's moved on from like His dominion here to global transformation to like intergalactic transformation. Isn't that crazy? That's like some beam me up Scotty kind of stuff. That's way out there. But that's the thing. He's saying this world is mine and the fullness thereof. And he actually says, I want this footstool to represent me. And do you realize, I was, I was listening to a, a podcast the other day by this guy named Brian Zahn. He was talking about how um, that all of creation, if we'll allow it to, um, that a lot of the early church writers, the way that they would describe or define the fact that creation um, God wanted to change things or do things was by the earth, and they would talk about how literally the, the the trees and the rocks and the rivers and everything around us is pregnant with the desire. In fact, when it talks about the earth longs and groans, it's really not the earth, it's creation. Every piece of creation is longing and waiting for His purpose to be revealed and His presence to come and inhabit again. This earth literally becomes where he just resides again. And how does it become? It starts in us. We've talked about this before, but it starts in us where he just abides with us. And then it moves out of that to our homes. And then it moves out of that to our neighborhoods. And then it moves out. But literally, it's like this. It's it's like an infection, but the best kind. I'm just ready for this thing to go airborne that's inside of me. You know? And um, so you see this a few other times. I'm just going to give you the, 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 the high points. It's all good, but the high points. Deuteronomy 33, uh, verse 12. Benjamin says, the, the beloved of the Lord, beloved identity, right there. So it's giving context to who it's talking about. The beloved of the Lord is always, it, it's, it should be a, a, a watchword for us. We'll dwell in safety by him, and the Lord will cover him all day and night, and dwell between his shoulders. The shoulders always speak of government and authority. So it, it moves on and says all kinds of cool stuff about the blessing that we're going to walk in. But um, verse 16, um, for the precious things of the earth and the fullness thereof, and for the goodwill of him that dwells in the bush, let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph and the top of him that was separated from the brethren. So the idea here is that God is actually wanting for the earth and the fullness. You, you find it, so it becomes the earth and everything in it but specifically, he's not speaking to everything in the earth as it is. He's speaking to everything in the earth as it was to be. Fruitfulness and fullness coming. Abundance, where literally glory is coming off of and reflecting off of the trees. And I'm not talking about that really cool thing where you go out at night and you're sipping a cup of coffee and, and the, you know, the sun's coming down, it shines just right over the oak trees and you think, you know, I like that stuff as much as the next guy, okay? I really do. You know, when you hear the squirrels chirping and, uh, you know, the, the, the bluebirds on my shoulder and all that kind of stuff, that's great. I, I like that stuff as much as the next guy. But the reality of it is that's, that does pronounce 
the, 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 the incredible nature of His creation. But what I'm actually talking about is where we, we literally see His presence interacting and reflecting through creation. And the truth of it is, it stops because of mankind, and mankind is what's going to be the ones to welcome it again. That was ended because of mankind. But I'm telling you, the trees and the leaves thereof are going to be for the healing of the nations again. The nations don't need healed after they get to heaven. He needs people that are willing to go there now. He needs people that are willing to welcome that here now. Because there's a lot of people who need healing. Um, uh, Psalm 24. This whole passage just blows me away. So, Aaron, if I get on a rabbit trail, just throw a Kleenex box at me. Because I really like this chapter. Um, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell there. Notice Notice how interesting it is that the whole church focuses on people. Got to get people saved, got to get people saved, got to get people saved, got to get people saved. Where is the people in that list of things that he wants to deal with? The earth, the Lord, the fullness of the world, which is, is, is literally the creation itself, and the people. I'm not saying that we're an afterthought. I, I think there's two aspects of that. The first aspect of that, I think, is because he, he almost throws it in there because it's our responsibility, our responsibility to be part of the change anyway. He didn't need to, he, it's not starting with us because we're supposed to be the ones that are partnering with him to see it happen in the first place. The second thing about that is I really believe that what's going to begin to happen is I'm, I've been doing this really funny thing where every time I'm in Starbucks, I'm just declaring and welcoming His presence, and I'm, I've been asking the Lord if it's possible that it could stay there when I leave. I haven't figured out yet. I, this is this is kind of the stuff that I like to try. I almost I almost have, have asked some people like, "Hey, when you're in Starbucks, you know, you know, after I, you know that kind of thing." But the idea of becoming, I want there to be a residual thing that happens where these that becomes an effect, so that when Yes, I know He abides with me. I know His, his presence is with me. I, I know we can feel Him at any moment. But how does it actually be something that, that if, if we recognize our responsibility that everywhere we go changes as a result of it, people just step into it. And, and eventually, if, if, there's a, if you walk into a river, you'll get wet. It's just that simple. If you walk into a river, it's going to be difficult to not get wet. Um, this whole chapter is just incredible. I'm going to skip it because I'll be way too close. Uh, Psalm 33. Um, this is, is, is where we want to kind of wrap things up. And I really like a lot of this. But specifically, let's start in, um, oh gosh, let's start in verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all of his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Here's another cool thing. So it actually goes as far as to say that this fullness business that the earth has, the earth is... The thing that the earth is pregnant with of Him that we have the privilege of being able to call out is His goodness. 
earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So it's His goodness. So think about this. Now if you start tying together some scriptures that we know, it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. In many cases, the, the, what's going to happen is I'm going to start walking in a responsibility whereby I'm responsible over this area, where I'm responsible over this terrain, where even when people are driving by here, where the presence of the Lord is is literally descended here, and we guard it with the city uh, of, of the city of the Lord, and within that, the watchtowers guard that this is the place that He comes. They drive through that. That thing is His goodness because the earth is reflecting His goodness, and it draws men into repentance. I, I, I wish that there was. If I was a good preacher, I could give you like some really cool analogies about highways and stuff like that. But what I do think is that there's this thing where in it, it's it's like I remember when we were Josh and I went to Hawaii. I'll tell you this: when we were in Hawaii, we were on a helicopter ride. Um, that was one of the coolest and craziest things I've ever done in my life. Um, I I don't know. You know how you say if I knew then what I know now? I don't know if I've got in it. I just don't know if I'd have got in it if I knew then what I know now. Um, now doesn't mean I wouldn't. Something about the fact that that um, a plane can glide, Hel- helicopters just fall. Yeah, there, yeah. There's something about you know, something about the. And it's funny because I've talked to a few pilots since then, and they're like, "Oh, there's no way you could even pay me a million dollars to fly a helicopter." I'm like, "You're a pilot," and he's like, "There's no way in the world." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" He's like, I can glide a plane down and have a chance. He said, uh, the, the helicopter, all it does is beat the air into submission. A plane works with the air. You know, a helicopter literally just beats the air. And so uh, we were in this in this helicopter, and I'm like, oh, awesome, he's a really cool guy. And so he said, all right, we're going to surf. And, and I'm thinking, what does that mean? Like, my mind's kind of racing, and I'm thinking, was a, like a, uh, I, I don't want to use the term jet stream or air stream, um, that was coming out of this canyon. So we came out of like this crazy, where there was literally like um, 1,500 and 2,000 foot waterfalls. There was 10 of them in a circle in this canyon that we flew into and flew right up to the waterfalls and came out of that. And we came out of it and turned, because of the way the air went, there was this air stream that you would be flying and you would hit it and then you would just go like this. You would just shoot sideways and just feel like you're just, like on ice. You're just shooting for, oh gosh, 30 seconds? That's probably too long. 20 seconds, which feels like my lifetime. When you're going sideways and supposed to be going forward and you're 20,000 feet in the air, 20 seconds of sideways feels like a really, really, really long time. And so, um, we, we did, he warned us, I don't know that the warning really helped because I still had no idea what he was talking about. Although, if he would have told me what he was talking about, I would have grabbed the parachute and, you know. Uh, so I, it's probably better. But I, um, it's that way in the spirit, I think. What we're doing in many ways is we're accessing the glory that he's invested in. And we didn't even talk tonight about the seas, the oceans that he says is full of them. There's some really cool stuff that's going to come out. 
essence of his glory that's in, in the land. It, it is true that oftentimes we have a responsibility. It's like wells, that we have a responsibility to tap and then to guard over. And the truth is, I think he's causing there to be, as we do this well, as we begin to understand this better, as we begin to, 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 to host him and then partner with what he's always wanted to do here. Because I assure you, what he's doing here and what he wants to do here is far different than, than revivals that have even impacted us. You know, it, it's, it's very unique. What he's doing here, I don't mean just in the South, but in, in our area, is very, very different and very unique. And there are some incredible revivals happening right now that are 500 miles away, and they're going to be drastically different than what he's doing here. But I think that what's going to happen is that people are going to be just traveling along and they're going to just get in that jet stream. And it's just going to move them. And it's going to move them. It's going to realign them with where they're supposed to be. It's going to cause there to be awarenesses of ways that they have been maybe running from him. I've actually had dreams where I've been seeing people that get around us. And when they get around us, all of a sudden they just feel affirmation as to who they're supposed to be. Like that just in your presence, in his presence, on you, they get around you and all of a sudden they feel like, I know who I'm supposed to be. I know where I belong. And that there's there's massive, you know, anxieties and massive fears that are just going to be dealt with just being in our presence, in our midst, because of his presence with us. They're going to get in that jet stream and it's just going to align them correctly with where they're supposed to be. And it's going to be without a word. That's just what he's going to do. So, um, the, the, the idea of what we're, what this is about is way, way, way beyond what anything we could tackle tonight. But I know that there is a responsibility that we have that we're going to start seeing this in very, very tangible ways. We've already had accounts of people where they are pulling our parking lot for fields or whatever. We've seen that. We've had people tell us those kinds of things. It's going to become more and more and more uh, uh, common where people drive by your houses and get delivered. Because your house is his house. And if you, you, no one in this room would say that a bound person could come into his house and not be free. So if your house is his house, we should have the same expectations. Jesus said, who's the light? And because of that, we're the light. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're teaching us. And, and, and Father, we thank you that there's more to this than we can understand, more than we can even um, materialize with words. But we ask you, Father, that you would just help us to just be good stewards. We, we're not asking that we understand it all. We're not asking that it all makes sense. We're just asking you, Father, to help us to be good stewards of it. And that we also, we recognize, frankly, that in many cases, Father, stewardship does not uh, demand upon our understanding. It just demands upon our obedience. It just demands upon our surrender. And so we'll do that. We will be obedient beyond our understanding. We will be obedient beyond our um, awareness and beyond what makes maybe sense in our mind, and we will just say, Father, we will be the 
your kingdom to come. We'll welcome your presence to come. We'll welcome whatever it is your creation is to showcase of the glory of who you are. Help us to be those that demonstrate that and that welcome that and that align with that and that dominion thing that was lost with Adam that we would step into because Jesus has already paved the way. He's already taken dominion. He's already, all authority belongs to him. So we just step into that and say, Father, these things and greater things do through us. We thank you and we love you. And we declare that your goodness fills the areas where we live. We declare that your goodness fills the cities that we live in. That it fills our country. That it fills our homes. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We love you. Amen. All right. God bless everybody. Um, Pastor Bill is going to be sharing on Sunday morning. And um, Noah and Eli and Ashley are going to be leading worship. Tasha will be in New York um, for, uh, for Springsteen on Broadway. So, um, so that's going to be that's going to be fun. Um, just as a quick um, as a quick reminder, um, we are taking up Sunday night tonight and, and next Sunday's offerings. Um, are um, are going to be given to um, to Avery's mom to the, the GoFundMe for her. So please make sure that um, that you do that and you give towards that. And and you don't have to write on that to know that that's what's going to happen. We're just going to do that. But we're believing that the Lord's going to do that, and He's just going to actually. I, I'm I'm really believing that there's going to be more money given in this week than has already been given to it. And I don't know what's already been given to it, but I just believe the Lord's going to do that. So He's going to double what's already there somehow. Okay, so God bless you all. Have a good night.